This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. All right, let's get into our opposing viewpoint with the Bill Belichick segment. We have to devote an entire segment to this, Dan, because of the uh, just exquisite display of knowledge and recall and football rain man uh, Bill Belichick turned into when he was talking about and reciting all the facts and the strengths of the Bears' depth chart, a team that is two and four, that he made sound like they were six and oh. And I'll let you take it from there because Bill Belichick was, it, it, this is what he does for every opponent. This is what he has does, done every time he's played the Bears. And this is what makes him, you know, the greatest NFL head coach probably ever. 40 minutes to Wapner, uh, 40 minutes to Wapner. <laughs> 293 toothpicks, 293 toothpicks. No, it's, it's a good point. <laughs> it's a good point, David. And, and and look, like, you know, I go back four years, the last time the Bears played the Patriots, and, and we got one of these full comprehensive scouting reports. And, and uh, we had Rich Campbell on the show the other day. It became a running bit for us to talk about Trubisky to Gabriel because the Bears had played the Dolphins prior to that, the last time they played the Patriots. And Trubisky hit Gabriel for two Gains, 47 yards and 54 yards. I made sure to look up the exact yardage. And Bill Belichick made it seem like those two completions were the greatest completions in the history of the NFL. Yeah, and that, you, know, you don't see a lot of guys that are able to make that throw that Trubisky made. Gabriel, all-world catch. Unbelievable. We're going to have our hands full. So he comes back this week, and he starts out his Wednesday afternoon Zoom conference with Patriots reporters with a – I think it got up to eight minutes – uh, opening opening statement, just breaking down the Bears. We're not going to play you all eight minutes, but Studs is going to give us a sampling of of a minute and a half, two minutes of Bill Belichick breaking down the Bears. Had a chance here to spend some time uh, looking at the Bears. This is um, a pretty impressive group and and uh, really a young team that you can see getting better um, all the time. Uh, you know, Coach um, has done a really good job here with you know installing his system and. I think adapting and uh, to the personnel that that they have there, and obviously getting a lot of young players involved. It's one of the youngest teams in the league. Um, you know, offensively, Fields is a you know is a major major threat every time he touches the ball. A very athletic kid. You know, Mooney is is a really an outstanding receiver. He's been had a ton of production, and you know I can see why he's very very good at everything. Plays multiple positions. Um, in the slot a lot, but they they'll move him around, and and he's had a ton of production. And then, um, you know, of course the backs, uh, Herbert Montgomery are are very good. Um, you know, this running game is is right there with Cleveland. I mean, they they literally literally have about the same exact amount of yardage. I think Herbert's leading the league in yards per carry. Uh, they're hard, very hard to tackle, and um, you know they do a real real good job with their. The running game uh, and the play action game as well. Um, 
a lot of explosive plays, lead the league in yards per pass attempt. Um, they've hit some big plays. Some of those are catch and run plays. And then when you add on field scrambles, uh, which are, they might count on as running plays in the stats, but they're actually passing plays in terms of having to defend them. Um, there, there are really a lot of explosive plays there that there are problems. So, um, <laughs> Okay, for those of us, those and that's, of you, that's a small us, fraction. Yeah, that was that was a minute and a half into an eight minute answer. And for everyone who has hung in there with us, thank you. For everyone else, wake up. He's done talking. Well, that was hypnotic. <laughs> that was hypnotic. The trance that he put us in there. It's, I mean, it truly is. And he, I mean, he ended up naming like five special teams guys for the Bears, which you're not going to get on most weeks. Uh, you know, Dane Crookshank, one of them. Trent Gill, the punter. Uh, Cairo Santos. He he kicks it real straight. It's great to see him. Uh, but so there was more from Bill once he got into the Q and A portion of things, David, that I thought was notable. And one of those things is what we were talking about earlier. And Studs mentioned obviously that the Patriots have two young quarterbacks, uh, Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi, is a thing this week in New England. And and the, you know the the sentiment in league circles is that when Mac Jones is fully healthy, he's back in the the driver's seat and nobody turns around and looks back. Uh, But he's still dealing with a high ankle sprain and he was limited in Thursday's practice. And they're trying to figure out where he is and they're, they're playing the chess match that they always are going to play publicly with this type of thing. Uh, your thoughts on that before we get to Bill answering a couple questions on his quarterback situation. Well, I think they're playing games because Zappy met the media, but there was a report that Mac Jones will be available. Uh, I'm of the camp where if Mac Jones is injured, I would give him another week to rest. You're playing the Bears, and you got a hot young quarterback in Zappy. You didn't anticipate this. I'm not saying this is Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe 2.0, but there is something to be said in the NFL for a quarterback who has more than 300 yards passing, and he's 2-0 as a starter. Things are going pretty well, and this kid is a revelation. I would ride it as far as I can. If Mac Jones is healthy enough to play, he could still back up and come in if Bailey Zappi uh, struggles. I almost think it's to the Bears' advantage if they start Mac Jones, who might be compromised health-wise. But Bill Belichick wasn't going to reveal anything when he was asked about his quarterback situation at the Patriots media session. Curious about the process in a week like this where, you know, obviously Mac was questionable last week. There's some uncertainty maybe on whether or not he'll be available this week. But as a coaching staff, do you have to get two different plans ready? Maybe, you know, as that quarterback situation is still unfolding here. Um, well, I wouldn't say two different plans, no. Um, but, again, we'll we'll get ready for the Bears and – and um, there, there again, there are always players in in a situation where there's some uncertainty about their availability. That's that's the way it is every single week. So, depending on who those players are, what the plays are, what we're talking about, that they're all kind of a little bit different. Uh, but we'll manage them the best we can. So, is there there doesn't have to be a lot of tweaking, whether it's Bailey or Mac at that position. You know, you can kind of come up with one plan and and feel like it's it's good for both. Yeah. Well, I didn't say that. I just said every situation is different, and and they are. So we'll evaluate each one based on the individual circumstances and and do the best we can with it. David, wow. we were we were in Foxborough in 
2017, I believe it was, for crossover practices in the preseason, which gave us a, a, a full week to kind of sit in these Bill Belichick media back and forth. And the torture of having to cover that every single week for 20 plus years. I can't imagine how some of these people out in Boston and New England do that because it's just, I mean, it, first of all, you got to sit through an eight minute dissertation about the opponent who's two and four and you probably don't care much about them. And then you've got to, and then you've got to have these back and forths where you can't really get anywhere. That one just amused me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't really say that. I mean, you know, so we'll see. On the other hand, Dan, it's the price of watching good football. And right. it, Maybe. it's the price of being around an organization that you know is going to be headed somewhere, typically, usually in the right direction. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of, you know, misdirection intentional, uh, intentionally by the head coach. But you also would have a sense that you're chronicling history to some degree. And I think that would be kind of cool. And boy, it would yeah. be like – and I would compare it to being around the Cubs in 2016, being around the Blackhawks between 2010 and 2015. There were challenges along the way. I don't have a Bears example. Sorry. Um, the White Sox in 2005. There were challenges along the way. But along the way, you had a sense that you were going to be – you know, writing about, talking about, being around something that was exemplary, something that was historic. And I think that's the feeling these guys have must have. They get fed up. Yeah. And I know you're right. In, the, in that media room, there are probably people who are burnt out and listening to Bill Belichick and can't stand him for whatever <laughs> yeah. reason. But still, it's amusing from the outside. Listen, I don't have the number in front of me. I had this at one point, but there's a, a, a total of playoff victories that the Patriots and Belichick have had since the Bears last won a playoff game. And it'll blow your mind because you, to, in order to match that playoff victory total with the Bears, you have to like go back to the, the 60s. And, and it, it, it's just absurd. So to your point, there is a give and take, right? Like you get to cover postseason football pretty much every year and you get to, to, to go to Super Bowls and do some fun things. One other thing on the Belichick point here, uh, before we uh, skip out of skip out of Bill's monotone and, and move on to something else, uh, the Patriots obviously were in the market for a quarterback in 2021, and we don't know how they stacked the top five on their board. We know they got the fifth one out of the uh, first round in, in 2021, and we know that they took Mac Jones four picks after the Bears jumped up and traded up to take Justin Fields at number 11. And so Bill Belichick was asked on Wednesday by a reporter what he recalled about scouting. Justin Fields during the pre-draft process in 2021, and here's his answer to that. I think a lot of what you what you see from him in the NFL, um, again, a very athletic uh, kid. He's uh, gets out of a lot of trouble uh, with his athleticism, his speed, his size, balance. Uh, he runs well. Um, you know, I think he he can see the field. Uh, again, he's they lead a league in yards per pass attempt, so. Uh, when they throw it, there are a lot of downfield plays. He's accurate. Uh, he can throw on the run. He can throw in the pocket. Uh, and, and he sees down the field as well as, you know, at other areas in the intermediate and, and check downs and, you know, screens and things like that, which they're very good at, especially with, you know, with the two outstanding backs that they have. So um, like any quarterback, it's coming into the NFL. It's a big, big change from uh, the system that they ran in college and new coverages and uh, different you know, different type plays and so forth and so on. But you can see him getting better every week uh, and and making plays consistently in game after game, uh, throwing the ball, running the ball, throwing on the run, 
Um, you know, he, he has quite a few decision-making plays, whether those are RPOs or uh, line of scrimmage checks based on the, the defensive uh, deployment and so forth. So, um, you know, I think he's you know, he's a very talented player that that's getting better all the time. But honestly, like a lot of players on that team are. Very interesting uh, memory. Very interesting to hear Belichick break down Justin Fields. I, I can't help but wonder this question. And I think it's when you play teams that, you know, have guys and players in your same situations, the ones that you're covering, you have to like look at it. Have you considered what the Bears might look like if they had moved up in the draft or if they had stayed pat or whatever, if they had moved up in the draft and the quarterback they took as the fourth quarterback in that first round was Mac Jones and not Justin Fields? How different might this regime look? Would it be the same coaching staff that drafted the quarterback? Would they have had success sooner with Mac Jones because much different style of a quarterback? Not saying that he would. I need to think about that. But I always do wonder when you hear how close these guys were in the draft and how much they evaluated the Patriots like the Bears had had scouting reports detailed about all five of those guys who are likely first-round picks. You wonder if they got the guy they really wanted or did the Bears – you know, had they had a different set of uh, information, would they have gone a different way? I don't know, but it's interesting to ponder. Well, an interesting footnote. I wrote an extensive story on Mac Jones about a month before the draft as we were kind of profiling all these quarterback prospects. And there were people around the league that thought that Mac Jones was the most NFL-ready to try to help a regime that needed to win to save their job. The Bears ultimately decided that Andy Dalton was the guy that was the most NFL ready to help them save Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace's job. And that backfired and it failed. And they're now down this path that we're continuing to talk about. But Mac Jones also did some things from a processing and and, uh, just a, a vision standpoint that people thought would click with Matt Nagy because of the frustrations he had with Mitch Trubisky, right? And being able to, 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 to do things mentally that, that unlock some things for you. And, and ultimately, obviously, it didn't happen. They, they, they thought, thought Fields was the generational talent and went with him. And here we are left to judge that and, and ask the, the questions of curiosity that you posed. Mac Jones was to Matt Nagy what Alex Smith was to, Can- to the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, when you, when you were debating what the Bears would do, I remember having that conversation and, and about, you know, the, the skill set that Mac Jones offered. And you wondered if the Bears where they were at 20 at the at the point where if they would take Mac Jones because you mentioned Dalton. OK, they had Dalton. Mac Jones is more stylistically similar to Dalton, to Nick Foles. You know, Justin Fields was a leap of faith, but it was a, it was because he was a generational talent athletically. Some mocks had him going in the top 10 and he fell to the bears and they aggressively went up to get him, but then they didn't know what to do with him. And so I just wonder had the bears taken Mac Jones and it would have been a more fit schematically or with that staff, what this scene would have looked like and how it would have unfolded. So many moments, right? But now we're yeah. left with Fields to Pettis, one of the greatest duos that I've seen. I haven't seen touchdown pass like that <laughs> probably since Trubisky to Gabriel. All right, let's wrap this up with a closing <laughs> drive. All right, Dan, let's quickly get through a couple bullet points. Number one, what will the offensive line look like uh, Monday night against the Patriots? Will Alex Leatherwood be involved based on your information or your insight? 
Yeah, I don't think so. I think that they still need to see a lot more of Alex Leatherwood, who obviously they claimed on waivers, did not have him during training camp or any time earlier than that, has been on the non-football injury illness list for a long time here and really hasn't done a whole lot on the practice field to give them a body of evidence to, to be able to trust going into a game like that. So it'll be a little bit before Alex Leatherwood gets a chance to, to have his say on the Bears offensive line. I'll be curious. You know, they're, they're, they're holding their cards really close to the vest on – Possible changes up front. It'll be interesting to see Monday night kind of what it looks like and in which direction they'll go. I think a lot of people are clamoring for some sort of change for change's sake just to try to shore up some of those pocket issues that the Bears have had for, for six games. Okay, Jason LaConfora reported that the Bears are shopping Robert Quinn, the trade deadline November 1st, 3 o'clock. My opinion is they should have shopped Robert Quinn more aggressively during the draft. At this point, they're not unlikely to get much in return. Not sure they could get a fourth or a fifth-round draft pick. I don't know what they would get. How likely is it that Robert Quinn finishes this season with the Bears? Yeah, I, I would say increasingly likely, part of it being because the production hasn't been there this year to make him a coveted piece. You, you're always talking at this time of the year, as you and I have talked about extensively, is who are the buyers, what are their needs, and what do they have in their wallet to give you? And sometimes those don't match up with what you've got out in your driveway for the garage sale, and so the Bears are just going to have to sit out there at the table <laughs> and see who drives up and jumps out of the car and says, hey, will you take you know six bucks for this uh, blender or or do you want do you want at least 10 and then you're going to have to go into the barter system at that point and figure out if you can get something for the future back in return for an asset right now I don't know if it's going to happen I I think there will be a lot of chatter leading up to November 1st at 3 p.m and then I think we'll get to November 2nd and go well that was boring the Bears Hallis Hall Bazaar. I like that. <laughs> All right. So we have heard Matt Nieberflus be intentionally vague about Valus Jones and whether or not he might or might not be the punt returner Monday night against the Patriots. What do you think and what have you heard? Richard Hightower speaks Friday. He will be pressed on this topic. My uh, suggestion and hunch is that Valus Jones go to the background, right? I, I just think it's time to, to, to work on some of those things behind the scenes, regain your own confidence earn the belief and trust back in the coaching staff and then come back, you know, three, four games from now, you can get back out there. It doesn't have to be a long stint away from the spotlight, but let's get comfortable first and not put ourselves in a position where we're losing a handful of games because a rookie punt returner cannot catch a ball in the fourth quarter of games that you need to just secure a ball to be able to give your offense a chance to win football games. Khalil Herbert leads the Bears in rushing. I like their one-two combination. We talked to Jarrett Payton on uh, the score the other day when we were in studio together. He likes Khalil Herbert as well, and I think he even gave him a slight nod. It's nice problem to have when you have two running backs you trust. You had a good back and forth with Khalil Herbert Tuesday at the podium. It, will his role expand or will it kind of be the same Sharon carries? Look, Matt Eberflew said he was willing to ride the hot hand with his backfield. And right, if you're able to bust off 64-yard run, if you're able to bust off a 50-plus like he had earlier in the year, if you've got four runs of 15-plus, it gives you a, a, a say in the conversation. David Montgomery's still a great back, and they're going to be able to use both of them accordingly. I was most impressed, David, on Tuesday with Khalil Herbert, who's having probably the one season of any Bears player on offense that has surpassed expectations to this point. And he was so intensely self-critical about his pass protection, about his need to get better as a pass catcher out of the backfield, about his inability to score from the one on fourth and goal uh, in that first half 
on Thursday night, which turned out to be a pivotal sequence in that game. And so what you have here is a guy that's producing and a guy who wants a lot more. And, and I appreciate players that are wired like that because the only way that this thing gets turned around is if you have guys that can be successful and still push their sell, push themselves every single day to get the most out of themselves. Khalil Herbert is that guy. And that relates to our last thing that I want to ask you about. You excel at kind of finding the uh, – looking at this big picture, and this season is all about that. We talked earlier about it. could be as many as 49 <laughs> days between victories. It's going to be difficult to evaluate this season if you're just paying attention to the standings, if you're just looking at the scoreboard. What else are we looking for? What else is Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles, George McCaskey, for goodness sakes – what else are they looking for when he's not officiating soccer games? <laughs> how will they evaluate the rest of the season beyond the scoreboard? By the way, the last time we were in Foxborough for those crossover practices that I mentioned, there was a fight between Alshon Jeffrey and Malcolm Butler where they were yanking each other's face masks and about 20 guys from each team got involved. And George came sprinting off of uh, 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 the sideline behind the end zone to break it up. He got right in the middle of Alshon Jeffrey and Malcolm Butler. So there's another George McCaskey oh anecdote my gosh, that's in a awesome. week full of George McCaskey anecdotes notes for you. Back to your question about evaluating this football team over the last 11 weeks. I need you to help me answer this because look, we, we knew what this is going to be. We knew what the rebuild looked like. We knew how daunting it was going to be and how the lopsided win-loss record was going to feel heavy to a lot of people who didn't want to sit through another one of these out who building blocks are right you have to figure out who are guys that you truly believe in to get your sharpie out and 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 write them in as a starter for 2023 and a starter for 2024 right and so you need to see these flashes and then the flashes as we as we talked about before have to become consistent for you to get the sharpie out and so now who are those guys right and, and so every week no matter how long this losing streak gets, we have to be identifying guys like Khalil Herbert, guys, you know, younger players like Travis Gibson, guys like Darnell Mooney and Jalen Johnson, who we see as leaders of this team and saying, yes, they are meeting the standard. They are helping to raise the bar. And ultimately, they're going to be a part of the next team that makes a run at a playoff berth. And I agree with that. But I also think that part of that process involves evaluating things the public can't see. The types of things you see and weigh heavily in meeting rooms, in weight rooms, uh, on the practice field. I think this first year, you're looking for guys who are here for the long haul, invested, and and looking at this professionally. You don't look at guys who are looking at this for just kind of for selfish reasons or for individual purposes. That sounds very college football-y, but look at the staff. Read the room. This is a room full of guys who came to Hallis Hall with that in mind. They are building an entire organization around the hits principle. Who does that unless you are buying into the intangible part of, yes. of, of a football team, of a football player? So I'm looking for those kinds of things. I'm looking for the guy who isn't checking out of the game when it's 45 to 27 <laughs> and there's, there's 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. I'm looking for the guy who's, who's, who's running around with reckless abandon, making every tackle, and who's treating the, the, the punt in the fourth quarter like it's the, the NFC championship game. These are small things but they mean a big deal in, in the context of a losing season. So I'm looking for the intangibles. And back to our initial segment, guys like Jalen Johnson, right, who who aren't weighed down by the losses but say that they 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 
give them more energy, right? Because you're, you're so motivated to turn that loss into a success. So let's find those guys, identify them. And hopefully by the time we get to Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then New Year's Day, we'll have a few more answers about this football team. Well, we'll be here. We got a long way to go. We're having a lot of fun. This was a good one. Um, I have only one request before our next pod, and that is you go back to your classic Navy pullover because <laughs> you're blinding me with your orange helmet matching uh, pullover. And I think ILL, oh my gosh. I and I, David, I and I, keep an eye on the Illini for the rest of this football season because there are uh, Chicago's Big Ten team having a great year.